Love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your... Let's do that one more time. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. And let it be a sweet, sweet sound. And let it be a sweet. In your ear. Amen. Anybody love him? Uh, well, my name is Nor Flett, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and so welcome. Glad you are here, and I uh, certainly hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas, and, and uh, yeah, had a beautiful time with and, uh, and I also pray that, you know, uh, my wife wrote an article years ago, and she talked about at Christmas time, sometimes we think it's about presents versus presence. We think it's about the toys and the gifts versus the presence of God. And so uh, God certainly is here, and I, and I hope that we live into that more and more and more. Well, if you have your Bibles, I just want you to open up to one little place, and we're going to read a short bit of scripture, and then we'll, we may jump around. Uh, Joshua chapter number three. Joshua chapter number three. And uh, we may jump a few, pl few places. Uh, you guys doing all right? Y'all yeah. good? You just have to check in, make sure you're good. Amen. Spirit's here. That's good stuff. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day. This is the day that you've made, and Lord, we celebrate you. We bless your name, God. There is none like you in all the earth. You sit alone in holiness and beauty. And Father, I pray that, uh, that you would pour out a spirit of wisdom and a revelation the knowledge of your son, Jesus, of God, that you would open up the book. Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would explode, that you would manifest your kingdom in our midst, God, the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Father, I think that your anointing would destroy every yoke and every bondage. Hmm that you give us life today. 
God, I thank you that you prepared a heart for a message and a message for a heart. And God, that you would do only what you can do, that today you'll give sight to the blind. You'll cause the deaf to hear, the mute to sing, the lame to dance. God, that you would even raise the dead. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I just want to spend a few moments in this verse and maybe and tell you a little bit about what I believe that, or what I've been asked to do here. Uh, and uh, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. And I really just want to announce to some of you that, you know, God has promised for you. And he wants you to walk and live in his promise. Some of us have, uh, have lived uh, or have been waiting and have lived our lives in a perpetual wilderness. We have been saved and God has brought us out of Egypt. And God has a, has a purpose and he has a promise for us. But sometimes and too often many of us live our lives in the wilderness falling short of promise. But I, I believe that God is announcing to us that consecrate yourselves for tomorrow he will do wonders among you. Tomorrow you'll experience your promise. But he gives us direction. And the direction is to consecrate yourselves. And con consecration as a simple uh, definition is the devoting or setting apart of anything to the worship or service of God. So God is saying, devote yourself to worship. And he will do wonders among you. A simple way of thinking about consecration for me is uh, what my wife has to do to me every so often, probably more often than she'd like. Is sometimes, I'm, I'm, I can be stupid, y'all, so I don't know if you guys know that. But uh, uh, sometimes I rush to get in the bed with a shirt on or pants on or socks on that I wore all day. I don't know if y'all ever done that. But, um, and then Sinead says, take that shirt off. Take those pants off. It has your day all over it. <laughs> and she says, she's really saying, consecrate yourself. Get yourself ready to get in bed. Clean yourself from all the experiences of your day. Because I don't want our bed soiled with your day. So it's like, ah, ah, take your shirt off, boy. It's got your day on it. I don't want your day in this bed, right? So in these simple verses, I think Joshua is saying, is set yourself apart to the worship of the Lord. In the same way that Sinead says that this bed is set apart, it's sacred space, God is saying, you are sacred space. He's saying what Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, so that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. God is saying, prepare yourself for worship. In fact, one of the charges that I've received from the elders 
uh, and coming here to Grace is to help cultivate a culture of worship where there is freedom of expression. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. And, uh, and, and I take worship very seriously. Worship for me is not just the times of singing and times of prayer, but worship is an attitude of a heart for me. And I've been worship leading for uh, probably 20 years plus, and, uh, and, um, and a life of worship for Shanae and I is what we try to cultivate in our home. Sunday is not our best time of worship. We worship while we're driving in the car. We worship while we're doing dishes or folding laundry, you know, and then we have set-apart times where we just spend time with God worshiping. Worship is a part of our life. It's a lifestyle for us. Mm -hmm. We want our house to be devoted to the worship <laughs> of our Savior. What happened? Oh, oh, pull your mic. Oh, he put it up. Okay, there we go. I'm like, what are you guys laughing at? I'm all self-conscious, like zipping up my zipper. Like, Hilarious. Thank you, Dwayne. Uh, like we set it up, right. So we want our house devoted to the worship of our Savior. So this assignment to cultivate a culture. And see, culture is defined as the attitudes and behavior characteristics of a particular social group. So that means I have the privilege of catalyzing a shift in attitude and behavior in worship at Grace. I take that seriously. But I've learned over the years of worship leading and through study and experience that the heart of worship is dictated by the revelation of a person. See, the revelation of the Father informs my worship. See, it's what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse, is 23, uh, verse 22. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus said, listen, you, we have to worship with an understanding. We have to worship uh, with revelation. We have to worship with this experience with God, what we know about God. See, the word know when Jesus is talking to this woman is uh, oida. It's to know or have knowledge of someone or something. Uh, this is a reflective thinking. It says that, you know, your worship should flow out of deep thought about this person. So we should have this conscious thinking about God, and it should inform us to worship. Healthy worship is dictated by our revelation of who the Father is. So part of my assignment then is to unveil the Father so we can see him correctly. And as we see him correctly, it should grow in us a heart of worship. I'm going to tell you, one of my abiding convictions is that God is good. And if you spend any time with me, you will probably hear that as a chorus in my life. God 
is good. Like I said, and I've said it before, it's not cliche for me. I know some of you guys grew up in a church, and I would say, God is good, and you would say? And I would say it all the time, and you would say? And sometimes, because we live and, 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 you know, live like that, the, the truth of that loses its power. But God is good. It's not that he just does good. He is good. When I read the Genesis account, the Bible says that God, in chapter 1, God saw that it was good six times, yes, even seven times. And so in other words, God didn't stop creating until he could see himself in what he created. Right? Because the Bible says a good man from the good treasures of the heart produces good. So God produces good because he is good. And so I can trust tomorrow because I know that a good God is going to show up tomorrow. I can endure hardship because I know a good God is on the other side of the hardship. It's an enduring conviction. It's an abiding conviction that God is good. In fact, in the creation account, the only time that you hear God say something wasn't good is so that he could bring more good. He said it's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He says he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. God is good. It's who he is. It's what he does. You know, when you read the Bible, it's, 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 it's funny because, you know, you don't hear anybody make the statement that God is good until you get to David in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. You know, with Moses, Moses says, God, show me your way, show me your glory. And, and God causes his goodness to pass by him. So when, when, when God wanted uh, Moses to see, to see who he was, you know what God did? He showed him goodness. Why? Because God's good. But it makes me wonder why no one says that God is good until you get to David. Because sometimes when you experience hardship, you aren't sure if God is good or not. Sometimes when things don't go your way, you can't reconcile who's responsible for it. And so you just blame God and say, you know what, all the bad stuff in my life is from God. But God is good. It's who he is. David finally says at 1 Chronicles 16 34. David says, it's not that God does good. He says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. Are you seeing that his worship flowed out of the goodness of God? His worship flowed out of his revelation of who God was. 
I'm going to give him praise. Why? Because he's good. David's one of my favorite people in the scriptures because his revelation of who God was was so strong, it dictated his behavior. I believe it's uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and 29. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to share the story with you is the children of Israel finally got the Ark of the Covenant back. It was with the, it was with the Philistines and, and uh, under Saul's leadership, which was the king prior to David, the Bible says that they did not seek the Lord in the days of Saul. And David made it his mission to go and get the Ark of the Covenant because David was passionate about the presence of God. He says, I've got to be in God's presence. I've got to be in God's face. I've got to spend time with them. And so the Bible records that David goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant. And on his way back with the Ark, David is dancing before the Lord with all his might. I mean, he's cutting a rug, he's cutting a jig. He's doing a two-step. And every six paces, the Bible says that he would, uh, he would sacrifice a bull. And I mean, it, it was radical, passionate worship. And the Bible says that Saul, Michael's daughter, looked at him and despised him in his heart. And she says, don't you know that you're the king? You're acting like a fool. And David's response was, I will even become more undignified than this. Why? Because his revelation of the Father informed his worship. His revelation of the Father says, listen, the real king in Israel is not me. It's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and his presence is now coming. And when I have his presence, when I have his presence, I don't live by prestige. See, sometimes we let our prestige inform our worship. Sometimes we let our problems inform our worship. But David says, listen, no, I'm going to allow his presence, I'm going to allow his character to inform my worship. And I don't care who sees. I don't care who knows. I don't care what it looks like. See, part of the challenge that we have is we think that Praise is personality-driven. We think our praise is based on our personality. I, I keep telling you guys, I am an introvert. I know you don't believe it. <laughs> Ask my family. They would tell you, like, Northland, where are you? He's up in his room. Here are my main passions, his presence, my family, and sports. <laughs> so if you catch me, you're like, you know, as preaching or in worship, I don't care what y'all think about me. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm serious. I don't. 
I'm more concerned about what he thinks about me. It's just the truth. So I'll lift my hands, I will snot and cry. I will, in his presence, I will. And you might think I'm going through all he's going through. No, I just love him. No, he's just worth it. No, he just deserves it. And his character, his goodness, his holiness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, righteousness, it informs my worship. Not what you think about me and not even what I think about myself. Go back to Joshua. Summer's over. Is that what that said? God gives this new generation a charge to consecrate themselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. And again, another way of saying it is devote yourself to the worship of the Lord. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In the same way, Shanae wants me to clean myself from my day as I get into bed. It's how God, I believe God is asking us to consecrate ourselves from our past so we can cling to what he wants to do with us and in us. And he wants to do wonders. But sometimes we're soiled from our past. See, when the Bible speaks of consecration, and often it means, you know, it would, uh, they would say it in the same times that God says, consecrate them two or, th- two or three days uh, and have them wash their clothes. So, you know, it was this, this cleansing aspect to consecration. And I believe that many of us have to be cleansed from our hurts and cleansed from our disappointments so that we can expect God can do, to do wonders. See, the enemy of expectation is discouragement. See, the children of Israel's deliverance comes in two generations. See, under Pharaoh, the children of Israel did not have freedom to worship. In fact, when God wanted to deliver them from Pharaoh's hands, Pharaoh put more or put greater work, a, a greater workload on the children of Israel, leaving them no time to worship. And then the Lord, said to, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh. This is Exodus chapter 8, verses 1. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they may worship me. See, there is a truth that lies in that scripture. Whenever we don't have freedom to, of worship, we are in bondage to a Pharaoh. Whenever we don't have freedom of expression, we are in bondage to a Pharaoh because God says, Pharaoh, let my people go so they can serve me, so they can worship me. Some of us are in need of an exodus so that we can freely worship. See, under Pharaoh's bondage and hardship, it was difficult for the children of Israel to believe God would do anything for them. Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. 
God is speaking to Moses, and, he, and, he, and he's telling Moses that tell the, tell the children of Israel that I'm going uh, to free them. I'm going to let them go. I, I'm going to free them from all their bondage. But listen, check out the response. Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. In other words, they couldn't believe God because of all the hardship that they faced. In other words, their hardship influenced their worship. Their hardship influenced their faith. And not God. And not God's character. When I checked out what despondency really means literally uh, in the Hebrew, it means shortness of spirit. Or shortness of breath. It's the moment that so much is piled on you that you feel like an elephant is sitting on your chest. Why was there such shortness of breath? Because the enemy kept the children of Israel from worship. See, worship is spirit to spirit and breath to breath. His spirit to our spirit, his breath to our breath. Maybe here's another way of, of looking at it. In, 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 uh, uh, in Genesis, the Bible says, and God breathed into man and man became a what? A living soul. In other words, it takes God's breath for us to live. And so when we worship, we experience God's presence, his breath, so that we can live. Worship is spirit to spirit and breath to breath. With my breath, I say, Lord, you're worthy. With his breath, he makes me alive. That's why Jesus said in John 4, but an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seek to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Because worship is spirit to spirit. It is breath to breath. It's like a mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation moment. It's why, listen, I believe, I, you, you, if you read Moses and, and you read David, uh, these were men that said, listen, God, I cannot live without your presence. I cannot live without your breath. I can't live without your spirit. Moses, in, in Exodus chapter number 32, uh, and God's about to, he says, you know what, you with, you, you with a bunch of people and they tripping. This is what basically God was saying. These folks are trip, a trip. They stiff neck. They don't listen to nobody. You know what? I'm going to send y'all on your way to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, God, if you don't go with us, then don't take us from here. In other words, he says, listen, I would rather have presence over promise any day. I would rather have you than what you can give me. I'm not leaving this place unless you go with me. I'm hungry and I'm longing for your presence. Presence over promise. 
David, you know the, 20, the, the 51st Psalm, he says, Lord, uh, cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. See, it's a parallel between Saul and David. When Saul messed up, Saul said, God, uh, God, make me look good in front of the people. Don't make me look bad in front of them. Where David says, God, you can have it all, but don't, don't take your presence from me. It's how I live. It's, what I, it's a requirement for living in my life. I can live without the palace. I can live without the prestige, but I can't live without your presence. I'm passionate about your presence. I'm passionate about worshiping you. I'm passionate about getting in your word. I'm passionate about you, Lord. Moses says, Lord, is it not your presence that distinguishes us from every other people or nation in the world? See, what separates you from Islam is presence and truth. It's spirit and it's truth. What separates you from what every other religion in the world is presence and truth. Worship is spirit to spirit. In truth to truth. Jesus says they that, must wor- that worship the Father must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, truth there means in hidden parts, in secret places. I can tell whether you worship or not if I go to your home. When nobody's watching, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not like coming down. I'm just, just trying to explain something. Really, it's Really. Truth is when nobody's looking. Actually, the word, and it's funny because Jesus actually says that uh, the hour is coming when true worshipers, in other words, Jesus knew that there were some phonies out there. I had to set my alarm for 30 minutes because I wanted to make sure I, you know, overdo it. You get me talking about Jesus, I can talk all day. I'm like, can, y'all, can you let him out? Somebody, elders, get him somebody. Get the guy out of here. He's still talking. But he knew that there would be some that would, you know, look the part and have all the right verbiage and have all the right lingo and could lift up their hands, but their heart is thinking about something else. He says, the hour is coming and now is where the true worshipers will worship him. And they will worship him in spirit with breath. That word spirit is breath. With every breath, God, I worship you. It's the same as the, sh- the Shema, when the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and you should worship the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Every part of your being should be worship. You should worship with your emotions. You should worship with your intellect. You should worship with your strength, your, your might, with your body. So it, it, it encompasses all of you. So Jesus says, worship in spirit and worship in truth, worship in secret places. When no one sees you, are you worshiping? When no one's around, are you devoted to him? See, God has a promise, and he says, listen, consecrate yourself. Uh, Devote yourself to worship because I want to do wonders among you. I want you to experience my presence. And when you experience my presence, guess what? You'll experience power. 
His presence is power. His presence is power. His truth leads to faith. And so God says to the children of Israel, He says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. What consecrates us is spirit and truth. What distinguishes us is spirit and truth. We know that because we already talked about Moses. Moses says, is it not that your presence goes with us that distinguishes us from every other nation on the the earth? And then Jesus says in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them with truth. Thy word is truth. And so God is trying to communicate to the children of Israel, listen, I'm going to send you into a land of promise, but what you're going to need to handle this land of promise is you're going to need presence and you're going to need truth. Why? Because when you go in this land, you're going to face giants. You may face some hardships, but you, and those are going to be some facts. But guess what? Truth trumps fact every day. Okay, so some of y'all are like, okay, I don't get that. What do you mean by that? See, there are some facts that some of you are facing. And there may be a fact that you may have cancer. That might be a fact. But the truth is, God says, by his stripes you were healed. So the fact is that you have cancer, but the truth is you're healed. See, when you worship and you devote yourself to worship, worship is where you're strengthened. Worship is where you encourage. God is calling us to be people of worship. People that make his presence a priority. I'm just about done. See, for this generation, some have waited 40 years to enter a land that God promised them. They have watched family members die off. See, God understood that Egypt had such a hold on that first generation that they could not believe God wanted more for them. God had to let a whole mindset die off. Who lived by the corrupt, stinking thinking of Egypt in order to bring this new generation of Israelites into promise. Because the old mindset can't, can't handle it. See, remember, worship is dictated by a revelation of a person. That person is Jehovah. And you can't disconnect the Lord will do wonders. 
Jehovah will do wonders. Yahweh will do wonders. I am that I am will do wonders. I will be what I will be will do wonders. The self-existing one will do wonders. He is whatever is needed. And we must worship with that understanding. I want to maybe conclude with a final thought and then a question. Maybe combining two ideas of worship. The first is the old English word for worship is worthship. Worthship means to ascribe worth to something or someone. To ascribe worth to. And the other is the Greek word proskuneo. That's the word that Jesus uses in John chapter 4. It means to prostrate oneself in worship, to bow down or to worship. Or it comes from two words, pro and kaneo. Kaneo means to kiss. So that we should lean toward a kiss to the Lord. It's a word picture where we get the word canine from. Anybody know what a canine is, right? Caneo, canine. What is a canine? It's a dog. Anybody have a dog at home? Anybody have a dog that acts stupid when you come around? Licking your hand, licking your face. That is the picture of worship. So the question becomes, is the Father worth me prostrating myself in worship? Do I have a picture of God that provokes me to fall to my knees and even my face in worship? With a heart that says, God, you are worth it all. Less of me and more of you. May we never lose our wonder. Let's pray. Father, I give you praise. I give you praise, God, because you are good. I give you praise, God, because you're worth it. God, I give you praise because you deserve it. And Lord, help us. Help us keep our problems and our prestige Help us keep them from keeping us from worship. Don't allow them to distract us from who you really are, God. Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would would unveil yourself to us. That you would open our eyes, that we may behold you. Like Isaiah, when he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple and the glory of the Lord 
was there and, and he heard the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. God, will you, by, your, by your spirit, help us see you in that place. Never lose. 